Hello, welcome adventurers to the 19th episode of The Travelogue, a podcast in which I, Stephen Hoffert, my pronouns are he, him, and Lily Lavin, she, her, will be diving into the world of Faerun from the Dungeons and Dragons tabletop role-playing game. We will go area by area, town by town, to provide a background of canonical lore, as well as suggestions on what type of counters you can run in the area, or what type of characters you create whose backgrounds are based in the area. Lily, how do you envision the Feywild? As much as I do prefer Fey spelled F-A-E, mm-hmm. in D&D it is spelled F-E-Y. Mm. Um, I'm just saying this because I'm looking at what we have our notes written here. Yeah, but I just like it looking. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it is F-E-Y, but either way, I don't know, ridiculous. <laughs> do you like colorful, you know? filled with flowers? Is it like full of nature, like a like a really interesting forest? Like how do you I mean, like, envision it? I don't know, y'all went to the Feywild. It's hard to say how I envision it compared to how it's supposed to be because like I don't know it's it is a forest it's nature mm-hmm. whatever cities are in there the only the main humanoid people are Eladrin right so whatever city is in there is built of natural stuff you know the classic you take elves and times it to a ridiculous degree mm-hmm. so the cities are made of trees or mountains and um, I, I imagine they keep whatever <laughs> like worked materials and architecture to a minimum but also it completely depends because the feywild isn't like good necessarily like even the summer court is still comparatively to human standards evil even if their alignment is chaotic good it's that chaotic aspect that makes them like kind of evil because it's like the classic things in the book are like you know a fairy comes and offers you a berry for the last thing for some weird thing and then now you're blind and it's like well the thing is listed as chaotic good and we see them as good but like that's evil that's an evil thing to do or you show up at their house and because you wore yellow on the third day of the sixth month you're now dead Mm -hmm. because that's their law and it's like well how was i supposed to know that and it's like well this is the most rude thing you could ever do in anyone's existence you wore yellow to my house on the third day of the sixth month sorry that means death but also there's like the dark the unseelie court where everything is like ice and darkness and swamps and a more stereotypical version of evil but wrapped in nature but also the feywild is supposed to and i always like this interpretation not make sense if you're not from the feywild it inherently can't make sense to you so you'll see a path and instead of going left and right it goes up and down but both up and down has a sky right yeah and so how does that make sense down by all logic should be a cave but it's not also to go up there's not a path winding around the down way you just walk up Mm. over the other path or the sky the sky is forever sun setting but the sun never sets and then if you go over to the unseelie court, it is forever in sunrise, mm-hmm. but it never rises. Or you have buildings built on top of trees. Yeah, like when you, you know, when y'all in Chaos Campaign met Tatiana, the queen of the Seelie court, the, the Summer Fay, um, I described her as wearing a dress of the rising sun and twinkling stars and a necklace made of broken dreams. Right. <laughs> and Or a necklace made of broken promises is how I described it. And so I don't know how y'all imagined that, but the thing is, is that's unimaginable. Her dress isn't made of fabric and her necklace isn't made of metal or silver. It is, it is made of broken promises and her dress is the rising sun. And I think that perfectly encapsulates how I think the entirety of the Feywild should be. Right. It should be like nonsensical to us because 
we have a certain set of rules in physics and how things work and it does not apply in the Feywild. Exactly. Everything is, you know, chaotic, but still, you know, whimsical, fantastical, taken to the nth degree of impossibility. Mm -hmm. Also, I think the Fey should, like I was saying before, really make you question your idea of what good and bad is. Right. Yeah. Because they have such a wild idea of what good and bad is. And I think that's what makes them so interesting. You know, they're all lovable scamps that will kill you for a corn chip. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah, really. Yeah, they completely make you question it and also kind of have you on your toes, not because they are bloodthirsty or they're, they're murderers, but just like they just have a different set of morality or a different set of right or wrong that, yeah, you have to try to ease yourself around, I guess. Exactly. Also, one thing I really enjoyed about um, one description I read that was, I forget where it was, but it was an official, it was in one of the official canon books where they mentioned how that idea of you wore yellow on the third day of the sixth month, mm -hmm. their idea of what is impolite and what is polite isn't written down in a book anywhere. It's right. just like somehow everyone knows that if you pick up a fork with your left hand while sitting on the right side of the table, you deserve death. And they don't see that as bad. They see that as, well, of course, that's how, of course, that's your punishment. And you go, well, how would I have known that? And they go, well, you should just know but it. But that's kind of the way that society works in real life. And it kind of is just taking, taking that to the nth degree, right? Like taking that to a ridiculous degree. Yeah, but adding in that kind of idea of like, because right now you can look up laws. Yeah, no, but there's social etiquette. Adding like, in that idea of it's just kind of like, yeah. Going to a movie theater and knowing not to look at your phone or to like talk out loud. That's just something that we know to do because it's what people do. True, true, true. I think, yeah, again, just taking everything to this ridiculous degree then because you're right. It's like if those minor yeah. social faux pas were the actual laws. Yeah. Right. Essentially. So it's like you commit this minor social faux pas and the consequence is wildly disproportionate. So it's like you use your phone in a movie theater. Okay, well, the consequence is you have to be dropped off 10 mountains. Right. And the mountains, the mountain, when you drop off the mountain, you never hit the ground. And so it's like, well, how can I be dropped off 10 of those? And exactly. That's that's exactly it. How? Yeah. Um, and then you kill someone. And they go, well, mm, yes, they did have a purple stripe in their hair. So, yep, that's chill. Um, actually, you get a flower. Yeah, good job. <laughs> or, or you get the memories of Ted <laughs> for doing this. And I, I kind of like that, like chaotic to a fault. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very cool. Sorry for this long-winded description of the Fae. No, I think that's perfect. It, it lays a good groundwork because we're going to be talking about the Fae. A cold cluster of rocky islands cloaked in the mists and deep woods and sprinkled with abundant beasts, bogs, and soaring mountains. The Moonjay Isles are shared by two dominant races of human folk. The northern section of the islands is dominated by the seafaring Northlanders, descendant from the race of Rothheim, a dark-haired and dark-skinned human race known as the Folk. The island's longer-term residents control the southern part. So... Is this... All of them? All of them. This is Moonshay as, as a whole. Yeah. The north is Northlanders and the south is the folk. Sorry, I was just wondering if this was talking about one specific island or all of them. They used to all be the folk, but the Northlanders have been around since like a thousand, thousand years. Right. I think it. I think it's very funny how they're just called the folk. Yeah, folk. It's, for people listening, it's two, it's two, it's two Fs, Fs at the beginning here. The folk. The, the, the folk. folk. The, the folk. The, the Northlanders too, like we won't get into them as much this episode because they don't. Um, feature heavily in the areas we're covering but they are a hundred percent vikings i mean it sounds like it they're seafaring they're called northlanders they're just vikings yeah rothheim sounds very like you know scandinavian 
Cool. So, in its creation myth, it is said, the goddess has been in the moonshades for many centuries since before the coming of the humans or even the Lewir. Alone, she nurtured and cared for the isles, seeing them green and verdant through the summers, white and slumbering through the long winters. She watched her body, the land, change with the passing of years, yet so slowly that it always seemed to remain the same from year to year. She gave birth to lakes and low marshes and became grassy fields. Mountains slipped slowly, eroding in the valleys below, while rivers grew in size, becoming more placid with the years. Occasionally a river would change its course, racing eagerly along the new path until passing of centuries pacified its turbulent ways. The goddess could see the isles through the moon wells. She remembers times long past when the only creatures upon the island were her children. The great Leviathan was the first of her offspring to come upon the shores of the moonshay. Then came the unicorn, Camirn, whose snowy mane flashed through the fields and glens of the isle. The first two of her children were peaceful, non-threatening creatures. To balance him, the goddess gave birth to her third child, the youngest and deadliest of her brood. The goddess brought forth to the moonshay the pack, and then the heart of the cruel winter, the moonshay felt its first heavy tread of the beast. The mother knew not whether it emerged from the storm-tossed sea or from the depths of some seething ocean of lava far beneath her skin. She only knew that the monster stalked the land with foul purpose. The children of the goddess, the animals, the lawyer, and the dwarves, fought the beast the best they could, holding its dark forces at bay. The beast could not be defeated, but neither could its might grow such that it would overcome the goddess. Thus, the balance was maintained. Pretty cool. It's got, it's like, they have their, like, own entire history with this goddess, and I wonder who this goddess is. We will find out. But yes, I I like it. I like these, like, these central children of the Kraken, the Unicorn, and the Pack. Like, maybe these are real demi-humans that you'll experience, or maybe they are. Especially because the Kraken apparently is um, peaceful. Right. Or maybe these are just, like, creatures that they find sacred on the island. Like, it's up to you how you play that. And then the beast. Yeah, I like that a lot. Also, for people listening, the Lewir, the Lewir, are just elves. They're just elves. They're elves. They're just they're elves with a different name because they're native to the Moonshay. Also, uh, just so... <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't add it here, but the beast... Uh, well, you'll get the actual name of the beast later, and I, I, I think you should look it up because it is like the most dopey, funny-looking T-Rex. It's a T-Rex. What is it? What is it called? Kazgoroth. K-A-Z-G-O-R-O-T-H. Oh yeah, this thing's hilarious. <laughs> it just has a big dopey, like, tooth smile. <laughs> the elves arrived from Faerun first to colonize the Moonshay. Soon, too, the dwarves came from the depths, but they lived in peace. It was the humans coming from the south that brought destructive expansion and war, a war that awoke the beast. Its name was Kazgoroth. Now the beast walked the land with death as its purpose. It slew relentlessly, indiscriminately. It thrived and grew as it killed. It drove the folk together to fight against it. A king arose from the kingdom of Kaladir on the Isle of Alaron, Simrakiu, the blessings of the goddess and the sword forged for him by the finest dwarf's craftsmen, Simrakiu faced Kazgaroth. The might of the sword and the king drove the beast back to the dark recesses of its home, badly wounded but not killed. There it would remain for many centuries. That's pretty cool. Later still, clerics came from the mainland and spoke of other gods and the conversion of many of the members of the Moonshay to these gods from the singular goddess was making her weaker and weaker as the beast waited to return. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. This place has like its own own shtick going on. Doing a quick look from Kazgaroth. I don't know if this is going to come up later, but it says he's an aspect of Malar, which uh, is this going to come up later? Yeah, it is. But like, if you want to talk about Malar now, that's fine. I mean, which is which is pretty cool. It makes a lot of sense, judging by what we just heard. Malar is just the chaotic evil god of nature. Exactly. Essentially. And so he's kind of like, he's part of the, what are they called? The Furies led by Talos, mm-hmm. which is Malar, the Bitch Queen. What's her name again? Umberly. Umberly Malar, Umberly and Aril, led by Talos, which are just the, yeah, the chaotic evil guard, gods of destruction. So it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, also, their Earth Mother is, as we're talking about this, the Earth, the Earth Mother and, like, the Moonshay Isles goddess is the goddess Shanti, so... Yeah, yeah, an aspect. An aspect of. So, yeah, Shanti also, like, the is the good god of nature, so... It's just the two nature gods kind of duking it out on this island, like messing with each other. Yeah, I mean, plus, like, if you talk to any religious folk, whether, I mean, listeners as a DM, this is kind of up to you. But if you talk to any religious folk and the lore and everything, it's like, well, why do we have chaotic evil gods? I mean, well, the beast might suck. But the beast did create Simric Hue, right. which probably brought people together and made this united this kingdom. And if you didn't have this chaotic evil god causing this stuff, you wouldn't be able to have this united good. Well, kingdom. that's it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like how they always say, "From destruction comes mm-hmm. new life," right? Yeah, that's it. And like it, always, it does talk about in the earlier things of like balance of like, yeah, the beast can't get too strong, but as long as the beast is fighting the goddess, there's balance. There's balance in their power. There's balance in the creation. Exactly. And then yeah, also yeah, we'll we'll talk about how the beast kind of uh, had it had its own effect on the island too. So, it is believed that the goddess of the moonshade, the Earth Mother, was an aspect of Shanti and Kazgaroth, an aspect of Malar. The last incursion on the land from the Beast was in 1345 DR. Uh, so, that's about 140 years before 5e. Uh, and was repelled by Tristan Kendrick. The War of the Earth Mothers versus the Beast was a very active aspect of early Moonshane when the gods were more present in the world, but their presence is still felt on the Moonshay in the forms of the Druids. Uh, Druids are way more common in the Moonshay than most other places in the Forgotten Realms, venerated uh, to the Earth Mother. Lycanthropy is rampant on the Moonshay and was brought there by Malar. And the Moonwells, these precious pools of clear water are located throughout most of the Isles, they're most common on Gwyneth and Aleron. The waters of the moon wells have several beneficial properties that are known to the druids alone. The water, when drunk directly from the moon well by a character's cupped hands, serve as a potion of healing. If the character drinking the water has acted in a way that threatens the balance within a month prior to drinking, the water actually sickens them. Examples of actions that endanger the balance include slaying animals without putting their meat or skin to good use, chopping down living trees for any reason, or initiating attacks against peaceful beasts. I think these pools are the moon wells. Super cool. That could be a good basis for a quest. You have to... Yeah. Something is messing with the balance and it's making the pools rot. And, uh, you know, it's causing people to sicken and stuff. And so you get tasked with stopping whatever it is. Kind of like a, this kind of screams like a Princess Mononoke kind of deal here. Mm-hmm. Where you yeah. get you get tasked to go with some druids or whatever and stop this balance being fixed. Quick thing that I just was uh, reading about yeah. is how the Earth Mother is actually a primal spirit. Oh, interesting. And turned out while people thought she was a aspect of shanti it actually turned out that she was a primal spirit Hmm. which are semi like they're revered as gods but they're not actually gods right um and they're specifically popular in the moonshay and they are um aspects of nature incarnated 
physically. So there's the Earth Mother, and another example would be the Ouroboros, the World Serpent. And oh, interesting. Okay, yeah. If anyone has ever played the Tomb of Annihilation, the nine trickster gods that were killed by a Sararok are also primal spirits. Okay, okay. Huh. Often take the form of animals and stuff. There's another one called Nebonian, which is a lion. Oh, Nebonian? Yeah, yeah, yeah Nebonian. We talked about Nebonian. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I thought that was familiar. Yeah, and then there's, you know, Quarlin the raven. So that's another cool thing. You know, primal spirit. It's kind of like a quasi-deity. Mm-hmm. Another aspect to go. Another cool aspect to take here. I guess we could talk about this at the end, but Saloon yeah. is probably not worshipped very much on this island. Or she's worshipped a lot. Right. Because lycanthropy is so you know how what undead is to lathander mm-hmm. lycanthropy is to saloon right right her worshippers despise lycanthropy with the utmost of hatred and like if lathander clergy and kelimbor clergy are supposed to purge the world of undead saloon's children are supposed to purge the world of lycanthropy so this could be a cool place to send priest of saloon right yeah to kind of deal with it if you had one in your yeah if you had one in your party i also think it would be cool if you wanted to play more of a less of a hermit druid and more of a like social druid yeah the fact that there's so many druids here and it's kind of in the culture you could have a lot more of a a social well-balanced druid yeah exactly i also think you can make a cool druid for um i feel like people with rangers and druids really like the trope of like i don't understand how to live in a society because i'm been grown up in the forest so i'm gonna sit on the floor and eat food in the tavern with my hands and while that's a cute trope it gets old really fast and kind of sucks but this would be a cool way to incorporate that but still know how to deal with society like you're like i'm from a place where druidic and nature is revered Mm. and is part of everyday life so i don't really understand you city folk that aren't revering nature but i do know how to you know still have table manners yeah exactly (laughs) and not be rude to everybody (laughs) Yeah, it'd be a good way to still incorporate that. Like, you're from the Moonshay where everyone is a druid, and now you're in, like, you know, at Catla, and you're like, what the heck is going on here? Also, the Moonwells being, like, potions of healing to good aligned characters or, like, ca- characters that have not been uh, breaking the balance, I think is a fun way if you're going through, yeah, like a quest line in the forest to give your a very long dungeon crawl or a very long like yeah fall like you know give them that reprieve because like yeah it's nice to really force your players to like use all their spell slots and use all their hit dice but every so often they need a little little help and like this moonwell really allows for that yeah nice little uh respite in the middle of like an oasis in the desert exactly another cool thing with these moonwells you could do is that to your party shows up does some stuff right mm-hmm. and then you drink from the moonwell and get sick right and you have to do something on the islands, whatever it is. Find the, you have to get a MacGuffin, mm-hmm. right? That's why you've come to the Moon Shales. You have to get a MacGuffin. But the only way for you to get the MacGuffin is for you to drink from the moon well and have a positive effect happen. Right, 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 right. And so the quest here doesn't become fixing the moon well. The quest here becomes aligning yourself with the balance of the island. Mm-hmm, yeah. And maybe... Um, That's really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's super cool. Maybe your players could come up with their own way to do it. Or you can present them with multiple ways to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that could be kind of cool. I think it's really cool. Another more recent threat to the Moonshade and the folk that live there were the bloody raids and conquests of the Northlanders. This was a constant struggle until 1354 during the rise of High King Tristan Kendrick. Tristan Kendrick unified the two people of the Moonshades. Tristan's daughter, High Queen Alicia, 
has held her kingdom together through the usually small wars between petty lords. Compared to the nations of the mainland of Faerun, the Moonshays have enjoyed several decades of relative peace. Yep, these Northlanders are totally just Vikings. They're just Vikings, but yeah, they've, they've gotten a bit of a peace. When the beast attacked again, they were able to come together to fight the beast, and then it's kind of stayed up since then. Yeah. And everything was pretty peaceful until Om arrived. The Isle of Snowdam is unique among the land of the Moonshay Isles for several reasons. As the southernmost isle of the Moonshays, it has the balmiest climate and is generally spared the howling winter storms that ravage the rest of the isles. Also, because of its location, it is the most distant from the land of the Northmen and thus rarely the target of raids. And because of its relatively mild climate, it is agriculturally the most productive of the islands. The farmlands of Snowdon are divided among several dozen lordships, each center around a fortified manor and surrounding the cottages of the workers' lands. Snowdown is noticeably lacking in decent deep water ports, the coves of Kaer Westphal being representative of the natural harbor of the Isles. This lack has doubtlessly contributed to the self-sufficient nature of the place, as its trade with other regions is rendered quite difficult. Snowdon is the most democratically run Isle of the Folk and of all lesser lords having a meaningful input to the king's official policies. However, in 4E, in the 1400s, Alms, mercenaries, and merchant houses are bent on subjugating the islands and have made a good start in Snowdon. Captured in 1404 after being funded by the Council of Five, the folk of Snowdon have been subjugated to Omnian law and rule from the mainland. Lady Erliza Darresian is the Viceroy of Westfall, and she keeps her status as a vampire a secret. Yeah! The Omnians buttress their control through the threat of violence against members of the royal family. The Isle's resources are being consumed by Om at a ferocious rate. Now, 90 years later, in 5e, Lady Israel rules from Care Westfall. She is the second of her name, <coughs> noted for her striking resemblance of her great-grandmother, the first Omnium ruler of the Isle. <laughs> Since taking possession of the place, Snowden's occupiers have cut down its woods, stripped its mines, choked its waterways, and refused the overworked folk under their rule. Lady Erlozin and her soldiers have ruthlessly put down several rebellions, and the folk here refer to her as Bloody Erliza. Some Omnians believe that this isle is becoming more trouble to hold than its diminishing exports are worth, and further uprisings are almost certainly brewing among the folk, quietly supported by Alarion. So Eliza, she turned into a vampire in Om, and she had a vision of being reborn as a queen of the Feywild. And through research that consisted mostly of consulting sages and then drinking their blood, yeah. she found information that led her to believe that there was a portal to the Feywild in the Moonshade Isles, which there kind of is. And that's why she moved to become the ruler of this new Omnian settlement. Yeah, I love her. <laughs> She's the best part of the Moonshay Isles, <laughs> by far. She's so cool. I love the combination of, like, vampire tyrant, but also, like, pirates. Because, I mean, it's an archipelago, even if it's big archipelago so it's like i don't know she's definitely dealing with pirates i love it i love that she's been able to keep it as like okay we can only see the queen at night time i love how she's able to keep it a secret for so long i love that she wants to be yeah. queen of the fae <laughs> i would definitely make it so that if you wanted to have like a fae wild arc you could center it around her which would be very cool mm -hmm. have a whole arc of like helping supplant the queen of the winter court with 
her in exchange for her helping you with whatever you're doing on the material plane. Yeah. I think that would be super cool. Yeah. Yeah. You even play her up as like a really manipulative, simple like character where if you go around on snow, snow down, you would see how terrible her rule is being, but like have her be like, no, I, oh, my heart bleed, like weeps for these people, these simple folk and their terrible island. And like, I just want something better for them and for this world and like kind of make her try to, you maybe suspect something, but make her be like, no, 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 I'm not evil, an evil vampire. But also just, also just make it so that it's like, I would run it around like you, you know, she's evil. Uh, okay, and like, okay, I mean, yeah. you're helping her supplant the evil queen of the fake. True, 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 true. So it's just like, you know that she's evil. It's just that like, you don't have the power to do anything about it. Right. Yeah. Because not only is she a vampire, which yeah, CR cr 13 so like at a certain point you can take them out vampire spellcaster which is what i would make her is probably like a cr 15 or is a cr 15 but they're smart as all heck and she's a queen of this island like you're not just going to be able to walk up and kill her right so i would make it so that in this part of the campaign you have to align yourself with this evil person to get what you need and help her right the thing is is you're if you do it this way where she supplants the queen of the winter court the queen of the winter court is evil so really all you're doing is helping an evil vampire supplant an evil fae for an evil monarchy not even on your plane yeah, of existence. True, true. <laughs> yeah, I agree. The other thing is is that to make her manipulative, and I know this is a bit of metagaming, but like I personally find this stuff quite fun. Like I think getting enemies abounded is or dominated person, if the DM lets me control me being dominated, is always super fun. You don't know that you were charmed by the vampire charm. Right. Right, right, right. It's not like it's not like charm person where you know you are. So even though this requires a bit of metagaming, it's like kind of fun you know what you can do is just like mm. um they can also use the charm while they're in mm-hmm. raven form so or bat form so what you do is during a long rest have her go into whoever's room as a bat in the ceiling do it if they pass the save she just goes into the next room she cycles through the party until she gets one of them they get charmed for 24 hours right yeah yeah, yeah. or until you're on a different plane of existence or she takes a bonus action in the effect and then what you do is just message the person in private yeah. and be like yo you're charmed you love her bam cool now everyone nobody else has to know about it there's metagaming from the one player but like i think that'd be cool she's great i love it yeah she's great i also think like yeah she is like she and Alm are strip mining this uh, island. So like any druid character could have a good um, backstory of being from this island and just being aghast of what's happening and trying to, you know, contact the Emerald Enclave to stop her. Yeah, or any or to like help out any refugee, whatever class you are from this island who escaped. Yeah, yeah, um, would be a good one. So with Lady Eliza, who is in Snowdown now and has taken over for Um, that's kind of your, I forget her name, but the, the leader of Irontown in your Princess Mononoke allegory, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is your, I think Lady Abozo is her name. Like she is your like... Lady Aboshi. Aboji, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that'd be sweet. Yeah. Yeah, also she's just such an interesting, Eliza, she's such an interesting NPC. Mm-hmm. You can't go to the Moonshay and not have her there in some capacity. I know, she's just too good. Yeah. Well, in you know, good as a character, not good as a yeah, person. fantastic character. <laughs> when merchants yeah, represent, depending on depending on the alignment of your party, <laughs> there's some good stuff here. Like, okay, so when merchants representing Omnian interests establish homes, businesses, and extensive trade relations with Snowdown, many observers on the islands warned of potential treachery. Snowdown scoffed at these warnings, enjoyed the luxuries that Om- Omnian merchants and the vessels brought to them. 
When a civil war threatened to dispose House Kendrick and Alm was rumored to be involved, Moonshade's citizens were furious. Snowdown, however, refused to believe the rumors and allowed Omnian interests to remain on the island. Then finally, when Om annexed Snowdown and drove out the High King's forces, the citizens of Snowdown shrugged and accepted their new rulers. Those who allowed the annexation are called traitors, while a few bide their time with the hopes that High King Derid can muster his forces and drive the Omnians and their sympathizers into the sea. Many wonder why Darren has not acted already, bringing into question his courage. The truth is that Lady Eliza Daresian, the Omnian Viceroy of Snowdown, holds a trump card that stays the Dedra's sword hand, his son. Om came in as I expected Om to, with like offering gifts, being like, hey, we're, we're here to trade, we're here. Like they did not come in, you know, swords swords clashing like hey we're just taking this over like yeah they 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 set themselves up for a while first yeah i mean at this point um is you know pretty adept colonizer (laughs) i think they know the deal you want to colonize a place first you come in and show them how great you are and sow the seeds of you know a positive relationship and then you turn around and go bad now and enough people will be on your side at this point because you've grown these roots so deep Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. also it helps to have a vampire queen that kidnaps the high king's son (laughs) yeah that does that that does always help (laughs) that that does help with the whole colonizing oh yeah om is just like america america the sword coast i really like om because they've just got this dichotomy that i find really interesting like they've just got so much going on both good and bad Mm -hmm. because like they've also done a lot of good you know like om is responsible for you know stopping the you know people from om is responsible for stopping the um iron crisis that happened at some point and i mean they did outlaw magic but i don't know i just think they're a really interesting country that has spread so far Mm -hmm. because of the ocean right next to them and because of their wealth that i think there's so much to dig for yeah in um history like everywhere you are in the world um keeps coming up yep no it really does it really like sends its tendrils out everywhere and has like a little bit of uh they're like yeah a little bit of fingers in the pie here and there i'd say they're like britain yeah 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 true like britain flavor wise they're not like britain at all um it's hot and it's uh you know got a lot of calamshan influence and tathir influence and i guess they're kind of like spain in the uh in that in that era yeah that's a much better one spain slash northern africa is um what it looks like and from the descriptions i've read and having just ran Mm -hmm. a large portion of the campaign in om and athkatla that's kind of what i leaned in on a lot was yeah southern france or southern spain and um bit of southern france but spain and northern africa exactly but um and spain was i guess really big colonizers yeah 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 colonial spain was huge yeah <laughs> lady eliza rules snowdown it's funny because like just just real quick there's a place where we live called snowdown yeah 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 and snowden snowden so it's like snowdown is very like tripping me up ever so often i'm having uh i'm having flashbacks of having to get up at like five in the morning to go to work because the my work was at snowden station <laughs> <laughs> Later, Eliza rules Snowden with Snowdown with an iron fist covered with a velvet glove. Those who have civil dealings with her swear on the Earth Mother's ample bosom that Lady Eliza is the nicest noble they have ever met. Those who anger her often think, just before they are secretly executed or fed to her vampire minions, that she ordered their death in the softest, most polite tones. Lady Eliza has a wide network of spies, assassins, and informants who feed her knowledge of happenings in her realm and beyond. In the high tower of Kara Westfjall, which is a smaller version of Kara Kaladir, 
Lady Eliza holds her leverage against High King Dedry. She sent a well-trained team of shadow creatures to infiltrate Dedred's home and kidnap his youngest child, the eight-year-old boy, Olrin. Until the child can be rescued, Dedred cannot afford to risk an open attack on Eliza's forces. It's pretty pretty classic. It's like uh, Theon Greyjoy getting yeah. taken by Neverwinter. Not Neverwinter, um, Winterhold. Yeah, I, I do like this whole velvet glove on an iron fist. Great imagery there. Of like, yeah. Yeah, she will, she will put on the airs of being just like a very nice noble lady and a very like right to do but she is pure evil i love this um idea of like even people sentenced to death were like hmm, yeah you know there's a lot worse ways to be sentenced to death this is uh, this is yeah. understandable you're being nice about it at least you're being nice about it. yeah exactly like no what i understand here's my neck go ahead <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that description so much. I think it's so funny. Also, I think she is a good example if you have a player that wants to play an evil-aligned character. Mm -hmm. I mean, she seems pretty evil, but, like, this is how you do it. Yeah. You make people think you're the Velvet Glove, when in reality you're the Iron Fist. Right. Like, you have to—people have to think you're not evil-aligned yeah, yeah, yeah. for you to be properly— evil otherwise people are just going to kill you and so i think this is a good example of how you could convince a player to play an evil character without it ruining your campaign tell them they have to act like the velvet glove mm -hmm. when their true intentions are the iron fist yeah very true also as a quick aside because we're also supposed to be helping dms out i've mentioned this before but so care caladir and everything care is the um welsh word for keep castle fortress mm -hmm. kind of any of those like kier morhen in the witcher and for anyone having trouble coming up with cool fantasy sounding names go to google translate put one side as your native language english or whatever put the other side to welsh and just put stuff in <laughs> it's fantastic welsh just sounds like ancient fantasy elvish you put in like castle ironwood yeah. and you'll get kier ridorhinha or something it's it's sweet yeah, right. i do it all the time it's fantastic <laughs> highly recommend it perfect yeah yeah i think they definitely do that in some places oh they do it in this, this whole thing is giving me very like classic fantasy like irish isles oh like, yeah vibe. oh man vibe. they do it in D D all the time and like i said the guy from the witcher he doesn't speak welsh yet it's in the witcher yeah so like it's it's fantastic welsh is great for that the town of landrain rests on the shore of snowden at the northernmost terminus of snowden ride a well-maintained road that runs the length of the island the town is home to most of the mining outfits that pull valuable metals and minerals from Andover Heights. The Omnium merchants who oversee the pillaging of the island's resources have set up a team of mercenary dwarf miners and guards that are brutally efficient at their jobs. Landrain's docks are not safe because both the reefs that riddle the harbor and the pirates and the Northlander raiders that patrol the northern side of Snowdown. Many of the goods that come into or leave Landrain travel by Snowdon Ride, which is well patrolled by Omnium mercenaries. Landrain also has the largest and most rapidly growing group of moon-shaped patriots loyal to House Kendrick. They bide their time waiting to fight against Om on behalf of their High King. The leader of the patriots is a folk blacksmith named Miles Maddock. Although his trade obliges him to forge the tools of the dwarf miners and use in their operations, he despises them and all other Omnium workers who have made Snowden their own. Miles Maddock is the perfect name because I was like listening to this, I'm like, 
we got to cut him off at the pass. We, we, we got to come off on pass. And I was like, fucking Miles Maddock is going to, is going to be the guy who's like putting out the, his like hand drawn <laughs> map and be like, here is in Snowden ride where Miles they like, Maddock. you know, the mercenaries have no presence or like they have a blind spot and you, you make your heist, you know? Also, I know it's M's here, which is probably making me think this, but he's uh he's Mads Mickelson. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. He's Mads, he's Mads, he's Mads Mickelson. A hundred percent. Just load that into in. your Google doc or whatever yep. <laughs> There's him him with uh leather gloves rolled up sleeves covered in some uh yeah covered in some he's a blacksmith right so he's covered in some soot perfect beautiful it'll drive hideo kojima wild exactly <laughs> <laughs> um this is great i love this this is the whole basis for i mean it's a vampire so maybe it could end with you not actually fighting her but like mm-hmm. you could make just snowdown itself kind of your own little mini one to ten campaign, and the idea is helping yeah. these rebels. It's kind of like a Star Wars yeah. deal here, where you're the rebels fighting the Empire. The Empire being Eliza and Om, and if you go on at least the map from the wiki, it has the moon pools labeled, mm-hmm. and there's one straight in the center of Snowdown. Yeah, I really appreciate that they have these on the map, and um, that could be kind of you know you come here, you guys are born here however you want the party to be and that could be kind of the kickoff of it you go to this moon pool that you've been searching for and you find it and instead of this glistening pool of radiant water you find this fetid green bubbling water and you're like whoa this isn't right you know and then someone tells you about everything that's going on and as you get closer and closer to defeating Om and Erliza, yeah. the pool gets more and more purified. Yeah. I mean, yeah, play play some folk that was from here. Someone could play a Northlander. You could play a dwarf that's not actually down for this pillaging of the land. You could play someone who is secretly an Omnian like agent that is actually infiltrating the, the rebels to try to betray them but you kind of grow to love your like ragtag group or maybe you do betray them like yeah this is perfect perfect setup for a really fun david and goliath and like rebels versus uh impressive regime also like looking at it if you zoom into it enough it's i would say probably roughly the size of barovia i'm just making this connection because they both have a vampire overlord it's roughly the same size as barovia and barovia is a sandbox campaign where you just the ultimate goal is dispose strahd right and this one is the ultimate goal is dispose Eliza. So you could like run an entire one to 10 campaign on just this island. Yeah. It's big enough. Yeah, it go. looks small on the map. But if you look at the actual thing here, it's uh, maybe a bit smaller than Barovia. But you could include Gwyneth and stuff. I don't know. Cool basis for a campaign. Very cool. Very cool. Especially, you know, when we think of like political intrigue and stuff, it feels so daunting because it's like you've got Om, Tithir, Baldur's Gate to the north, um, Kalimshan past Tithir, mm-hmm. then there's the Nelinthar Isles, and it's like, how do I do all this? This is a good way to run kind of a political intrigue slash rebel ousting of a tyrant campaign and it still be small. Yeah. It, there's no other countries around really, it's just this island, it's just the island versus um uh, but it still has political intrigue because they've got a lot of backers and the rebels have a lot of backers. And so it's a good way to kind of um, dip your toes maybe in a bit of political intrigue slash rebel alliance campaign. Yeah, yeah, it's great. And like, yeah, the, there is God elements if you want to add that, but like very small and very clear two gods versus each other. So you don't have to worry about this whole pantheon and like this whole kind of like if you want to just keep it small, you know? Exactly. 
I think that's um yeah. I think it'll uh, remove a lot of the more anxiety filled parts of warring gods and political intrigue because it's more small scale. Yep, way more small scale. I was gonna say, but it still feels grand. And yeah, important. exactly. Well, because yeah, like if that's the world you know, if Moonshade's the world you know, then it's still it's huge for Moonshade. Yeah, exactly. The human scribe Henrik Muckleprat is a low level functionary of the mayor of Harlock, a small <laughs> town on Snowden Ride. Henrik spends his idle time studying books on the history of the region. In his search for materials to read, he came across a book detailing what the locals call Moonwells. When he found the book in a rundown shop in Westvale, it was impaled by what seemed to be a horn or a talon of a large beast. Henrik pulled that object from the book and a jolt coursed through his body, and he now keeps the horn with him at all times. When he holds it and reads about the Moonwells, his heart begins to beat more rapidly, as if he has just run several miles. Henrik cannot get the Moonwells out of his mind. Henrik wants more than anything to take the horn to a Moonwell, not knowing what would happen if he did. Bam, quest. Yeah. Bam, that's just that's just a quest description right there. Bam, you meet him, he asks you to do this, you help him do it. 100%. But like, also, like, what is the horn? Is it, is it going to bring yeah. back the beast? Is that something like you bring in or like a, an avatar of the beast like yeah that's something that i'm want. oh yeah you're right fantastic way to make the party accidentally summon an evil thing that they now have to stop exactly <laughs> perfect that's a classic way to get your party motivated to do something make them responsible for the thing exactly yeah <laughs> and this is perfect and then maybe that's how they get this weird thing of like oh maybe we should work with the omniums to stop this like god avatar we brought back oh no <laughs> in the decade leading up to the spell plague the planar barrier separating the Feywild from Faerun weakened. On the night of the spring equinox in the year of the risen Elfkin 1375 DR, the ancient Fey capital of Carador rose from the crystal clear waters of Miraloc. The High Lady Oldaf, a noble ladron, declared herself queen over the ancestral lands of Gwyneth. So Gwyneth is the island just north of Snowdown, and Mirlock is the big it's the uh, lake in the middle of biggest, it. Biggest, right? Yeah, it's the biggest one. If you go on Forgotten Realms Wiki or Google, yeah, Gwyneth is the biggest Moonshay Isle, right? Mm-hmm. It's the biggest one. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. you look up Carador, this city is yeah. beautiful. Oh yeah. The official art is so it's so cool looking. <laughs> it's a beautiful city in the center. It's just this circular city in the center of a like giant lake essentially mm-hmm. or a bay. Mm-hmm super cool uh, yeah i guess it's a lake a huge lake yeah but it's wicked i highly suggest everyone look that up also something i found out between last episode and this episode that i just think is so funny in canon they name the year before it happens yep yeah they're all they're all named from so, some crazy person who well not crazy but this like prophet who had just so, like seen and they named it all they sit around and there's like names where it's like year of the shadow the daggers in the dark and yeah. the year of rubble from the sky or the year of the baby's black hoof. And it's like, could you imagine sitting there and being like, hmm, yes, that sounds like it's going to be a good year. Thanks, Tim. Exactly. Thanks for naming it that, Tim. Do you think maybe you're bringing the daggers in the dark on us? Couldn't you have named the year something like the year of the plentiful harvest and lovemaking? Well, like Risen Elfkin, you're like, yeah, maybe the elves are going to just have a pretty good year and like, I don't know, like have a chill year. And it's like, oh, no, a, a capital of the Feywild's going to come out of a yeah. lake somewhere. Yeah. It's so it's just so funny to me that they named them first. It's like, yeah, what? It's Especially because some of them have ridiculous names. Some of them have the most oh yeah terrible terrible yeah also like some of them are just hilarious it's just so funny to me yeah most influential force in the moonshades at the moment is the court of high lady ordolf a fey queen who reestablished the realm of seraphil on the island of gwyneth 
Ordolf and her court command magic that rivals that of the Exarchs. In the time before time, Lady Orlaf learned of a prophecy. A satyr seer stated that she could die only in the mortal realm, but die she must to save the two worlds from a howling disease spread by a beast lord. When she heard this prophecy, she moved Sherlef into the Feywild. Then, just a century ago, she led her Feywild realm back across a planar divide, returning it to the island of Gwyneth, where her capital city of Carador rose from the depths of the Mirlock. High Lady Ordolf felt a tugging deep inside her that foretold her death was both imminent and necessary. Ordolf and her followers defeated the forces of the High King, and she expanded her realm to encompass all of Gwyneth, leaving the ancestral home of the Kendrick family, Caracorwell, in ruins. Many Moonshay residents feared that she would continue her expansion unchecked, but the borders of Serlef have stopped the coast of Gwyneth. Yeah, I feel a lot of people have this idea that like Eladrin are like, I don't know, hippie elves and stuff. And while they are to an extent, their lore involves a lot of war. Yeah, oh yeah. And like this, these are Eladrin. They've got to be fey elves. Yeah, Um, they are, yeah. They're coming here and taking over and stuff. Like the Eladrin are actually like a force to be reckoned with. Also, (laughs) for people who don't know, an exarch is a mortal who becomes a demigod. Right. So she has the power of a demigod. Like the uh, the Uthgard barbarians. Uthgard was a is one of the most famous exarch. I would say he was just a barbarian that mm. um, Tempest was like, "You're a god now." So she has the power of a demigod, right? Which is terrifying. Yeah, it's crazy. And I like that she has this. Like she was earlier. On, say earlier, it's probably like a thousand years ago or more. Was like, oh, I'm gonna die. Don't want that. Leaves, and then she kind of has to stop and think. And she's like, oh no, this is necessary. Like I have to do it. So she's she's back here and doing something that's like kind of selfless, but also like fate to find. Yeah, it also sounds a lot like the thing that's gonna kill her is the beast. Exactly, the beast coming back. Or it could be Lady Erla. Like I think that's it. Lady Erla is coming here. She wants her ultimate goal is to become a fake queen. So she's going to want to kill Oldolf and become a queen in Oldolf's stead. Right. But I think that later Eliza, maybe in her conquest, it would get... Because the beast isn't... It is called the beast, but it's not mindless. True. So Malar could work through her and, like, if, if, if the beast gets re-summoned or something, Malar could work and, like, kind of twist her mind to, like, go with her, like, goal and madness to then try to take them. Yeah. A beast... Yeah... It's true. A beast lord could be interpreted as yeah. Eliza, and I actually really like that. Everyone's expecting it to be the beast, but it turns out to be her, and I, that's yeah. pretty cool. Gwyneth today is a breathtakingly magical place, home of a race of noble Eladrin claiming to be from the same stock as the mystical fey crater race of old. Radiating outward from the shining city of Carador at the heart of Murloc Vale, a lush valley nestled in the mountains with the shimmering waters of Murloc to the south, Druid circles are active in the Vale, allied with the elves and the fey creatures in this area. The valleys, forests, and waterways of Gwyneth are filled with lush vegetation, fantastic beasts, and where to find them, and laughter of the sylvan creatures dancing beneath the stars. This land is called Seraphil by some of its fey inhabitants, and the humans are no longer welcomed on its shores. The old human kingdom of Corwell has not existed for over a century. The ruins of Ker Corwell rest atop a rocky promontory above the terminus of Corwell Firth, several hundred feet below. King Kendrick has vowed to see the ancestral homes of his family restored. Get out of here, humans. <laughs> yeah, I like, I do kind of like this though. Like, say you were playing a one to ten adventure 
uh, in Snowdown and doing this like fighting with the rebels, maybe you 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 finish that adventure not beating Eliza. You finish it like by getting this kind of false alarm with the beast. You accidentally summon the beast and you take it down. And you're like, okay, we're level ten now. What do we do? Well, my players still want to play. You bring them into this world of like Ken, King Kendrick and the humans are like, yeah, the Eladrin also took our land we're mad about it help us fight and then you get this kind of like yeah. false flag and like this false like anger against the ladron that you then figure out like oh no they're actually here with their own purpose you know yeah it's super cool this could be the 10 to 15 part yeah or you could run a whole campaign in gwyneth it's super cool this whole area <laughs> is just super cool it's feywild for people who don't want to have to deal with feywild physics yeah and like this says um, fantastic beasts and lush vegetation so you could add in little fey elements if you wanted to like this this oh, bleeding of, of the fey into it it's definitely fey very fey adjacent i would make it it sounds super cool um fey wild mini fey wild light mm-hmm. um also the moon pools yeah um are ridiculously populous on Gwinnett. yeah yeah there's like one there's like one every 10 miles <laughs> you can make that a thing too if you wanted to if you wanted to make this like the earth mother doesn't dislike the eladrin but they're not her chosen people and so maybe you have this kind of tension if you're a follower of the earth mother of like uneasy alliance or like true enemy of my enemy is my friend but like yeah not being super stoked about these people kind of taking over her land because like the folk were her people i think something else that'd be really cool to do and i've mm-hmm. i've been thinking about this a lot and i would definitely do this if i was running in gwyneth or the moon shales in general if you've played the witcher there's things or even skyrim has it too skyrim it has a different name but they're called places of power in the witcher right they're the places where you find them and they give you like a they're like those little magical monuments and it's like you now get a plus one to an ability yeah, yeah. i would make the moon pools hidden right you know people don't want to tell you where they are and they're places of power mm-hmm. so you go to them yeah. and you activate it and you get a buff cool. essentially a magic item but it's a pool but you can only be attuned to or have activated one place of power at a time mm. and so you have to travel around and each one gives you a different benefit so you can kind of add this into your um, strategy where it's like, okay, we're going into a big battle. Let's travel. Find the place of power that gives us raw damage buff. Right. Or, wait, should we go to the one that gives us plus two AC? Yeah. You know, which which pool should we have activated <laughs> at a certain time? I think that would be a super cool way to take the uh, moon pools into account during running this rather than just, you get a potion of healing. Yeah. And do it, like, have it where if you ever break the balance or, like, have a slip up of breaking the balance, you lose that power. So you have to be pretty, like, on top of it to not... Yeah, exactly. Not get on the bad side of the Earth Mother. Exactly. I think it's... Uh, I think that'd be really cool. Places of power. Yeah. Cool idea. Each It's like a fourth attunement slot to the pools. Yeah, exactly. That's very cool. I would also probably... I would definitely make it so that it's as a party. Mm, right, right, right. Like you can't have each party member attuned to a different pool as a party. Yeah, that really helps. <laughs> as, yeah. yeah, as a you have a you have a pool attunement slot as a party. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's how I would do yeah, it. Yeah, I think that's good. That's cool. All manner of beasts and capricious fey have overrun Kirkowell. And a band of fey pirates, the Silverblades, use the docks as base. Silver Silwert, the Eladrin captain of these pirates, has turned them to the slave trade, capturing fey and mortal creatures to sell to the Fomorians of Oman. In the castle ruins, Philip the Wary, a twisted gnome, leads Bogles and other small fae in the mad pursuit of a dream he has of establishing an unseelie kingdom in the area. Philip's fae's have a tenuous alliance with Silver's Blades. Um, I love that his name, you've been saying Philip, but I think it's Phil Whip, yeah. and Phil Whip is just the funniest uh, name. It's so annoying. It's so, it's so <laughs> funny. His name is Phil Whip. What is Phil this? Whip. It's W-Y-P. This is the old ruins of the the, the human kingdom, Caracol Well, so it's now 
now a, a base of pirates and Philip the Wary, a crazy, crazy nut. Also, I, the Silver Blades are my favorite. I love them. They're evil, but they're also fey pirates. Yeah. It's sweet Eladrin pirates. Yo, it's that's so fantastic. Cool. I love it. Yeah, I would love to have them, like... Maybe they're all like winter ladrin and they have like icy cold ship and they like bring like a icy frost wherever they go or they're like, oh, yeah. you know, summer ladrin and they're like beating hot sun, you know, all that's oh, so cool. Fantastic. Yeah, I think those would be the silver blades would be a good way of say maybe you get on the wrong, you get into a total party kill or, or like a capture captured for going against Ordolf or whatever you're doing. Like the, yeah, you end up in the pirates like hold and then you have to break out from it. Yeah. Also look at this map this place is just it's ireland yeah it's just ireland it's ireland if it's it's this would be fantastic if you needed if you were running here and you needed inspiration look up medieval ireland Mm -hmm. medieval ireland because ireland is also kind of like home of irl home of like the fey lore kind of right ireland and scotland is where like this hey a lot of this you know fey lore comes from oh man and so it'd be really cool this is like ireland if the fey were real and took over because the reason I'm saying this is some of these names are so funny. There's a place called Macshehan. Right. From Macshehan. Oh, I'm from O'Malley. This city is literally called O'Malley. That is a, just an Irish last name. Yep. O'Malley, Kings Bay. Ah, yeah, Care Corwell. Ah, I just came in from Macshehan riding on a straight drive to Care Corwell. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, there's also... Uh, where are the McDougals? Where are the McDougals out of Macshehan? <laughs> There's Fearbulk here too, which are very like, I always kind of felt were a bit yeah. Irish. Seraphil shares the island with a reclusive mountain kingdom of Sinora, the home of the Lyrwell Elves, plus a few small shield dwarf settlements. In the north of the island, High Lady Orlaf's son, Prince Arath, leads the struggle against the darker fate of the forest of Winterclan. Prince Arath does not know the reason for his mother's decision to return Seraphil to the mortal realm, but leading the military forces against the enemies of Seraphil keeps his minds occupied on war. The prince is a pragmatist, willing to accept aid in fending off his people's foes, and so has been known to allow venturing companies to cross the Strait of Alarin and the land of Gwyneth if they pledge to aid the cause. So this prince is hot and is the way that you get into the good side of the, the ladder. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah, I love him. I love yeah. him. So there's a there's there's a funky thing in the DMG and the lore where if you spend too long on a plane of existence that isn't your native plane of existence, mm-hmm. your personality and everything changes. Mm. So um, um, you make con saves, I think, but over time, it's inevitable to fail. So like Gratz right. was originally lawful evil, and he spent too long in the Blood War in Abyss, and it changed him to chaotic evil, mm. and that's why he became a demon when he used to be an archdevil. He succumbed to the chaotic nature of the Abyssal Plane. The same thing happens if you spend too much time in the Feywild as a human. Right. Um, eventually, your very nature changes as the Feywild makes more sense to you than the material plane. Mm-mm. And I think that's always a really cool DM tool. But as an aside, I think that would be a really cool way to go with here. Maybe um, there's another faction of Eladrin or something that think the Seraphil Eladrin have spent too much time on the material plane and their very nature has changed. Right. And they don't like that. Right, yeah. That could be that could be a way to go in here. Or maybe um if you wanted, depending on how you wanted to go, maybe this this prince here, mm. maybe he has secretly been going back to the Feywild every now and again right. to keep his Fey nature intact. And he's mm. sitting here watching all his brethren and sistren and uh, uh kin and his mom succumb to the mortal plane's kind of neutrality, I suppose. Yeah. 
and he thinks it's he thinks it's a pity that they're losing their fey nature yeah it's very cool that could be kind of a cool cool angle to take here yeah i think that's really cool and also like have him play up like he knows that he has to protect he's trying to protect his mother with by all costs from this terrible fate that she's come back to accept thinking he can change it and so has that kind of like hope for his mother is like more of a pragmatist at this point yeah it is in winter glen Prince Arath's Fae champions fight to a stalemate against the Unseelie forces radiating outward from Citadel Umbra. The thick, dense forest known as Winterglen dominates the northern reaches of Gwyneth. The outer edges of Winterglen are relatively normal and in some places beautiful, but the inner portions of the forest have been corrupted by the Unseelie Fae powers emanating from Citadel Umbra. This power, combining the worst of the deadly evil of the Shadowfell and the dreadful strangeness of the Feywild, has corrupted the flora and fauna. The pines thirst for mortal blood, and seemingly innocuous chipmunks and possums act as spies for the unseelie creatures that patrol the forest. Hidden deep within the darkest and coldest area of Winterglen, Citadel Umbra rests upon a large burial mound. Its shadowy tower reaches up to the tops of the tall pines that guard the castle. Those who see the facade of the citadel when the sunlight peeks through the pines and strikes it swear that the building shimmers and disappears, only to return when the sunlight gives way to shadow. Very few can navigate through the Winter Glen to find the place, though those who do must contend with the shadow and the fey creatures that guard its location. Citadel Umbra rests on a spot that contains a rare conjunction, crossing both the Feywild and Shadowfell permeates the area. This coincidence makes the spot perfect breeding ground for the inhabitants of the Unseedly Fey, which the creatures that revel in the darkness most disturbing aspects of nature, shadow, and death. The mistress of the creatures here, the leader of Citadel Umbra, is Arfania, a powerful hag. Her vile machinations and dread deeds in the Feywild compelled the court of stars to banish her, but she gained a foothold in Gwyneth. High Lady Orlulf was the one fey who assisted in Orfania's banishment from the Feywild, and now the Hag seeks revenge on her. From her seat in Castle Umbra, Orfana commands a large force of shadow creatures, fey and undead. The Hag wants nothing less than to wrench the realm of the Seraphil from her enemy's grasp and rule it as her new dark demises. Oh yeah, how we were talking, Snowdown is your um, dipping toes in political intrigue. After you finish that, you come over here, you got the three warring factions, the humans, the Seelie, and the Unseelie. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. I, lo- I love the idea of just a forest, but the closer you get to Citadel Umbra, the more it becomes winter. Yeah. So, like, you start seeing, like, you start seeing um, icy rhymes on the side of um, trees, even though there's no wind, there's no ice. You start seeing frozen lakes. The closer and closer you get, the more um, icy and snowy the terrain becomes and like the shadow fell so it gets more like desaturated and like grays as you get closer and and then finally you come across a glade with a castle that can only be seen at nighttime yeah which is so cool cool. the castle you 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 can't enter it or see it during the day that i uh, that's how i took that passage and that's the coolest thing ever (laughs) It's so sweet. It can only be seen during the night. I love that so much. Surrounded by icy trees and embankments. So cool. I would have... Wicked stuff. I would have, if you did this, like, quest and the the political intrigue, I would have Urfania actually, like, courting the human king as, like, 
not in Hague form, but in like yeah, yeah, yeah. The enemy of the end. My enemy is my friend. Exactly. Yeah, courting them and like not in Hague form and pretending to be like either human or like a ladrin that like like I'm also from the Feywild and I think it's terrible what Lady Ordolf did to you. We don't. We in the Feywild don't believe in her radical ways, and we're here to help you. You know. And she's manipulating him. Yeah, manipulating him, and is like you maybe could see if you were working for the humans, like something's up with these like these fae that are helping us. They don't seem completely on the level, or they seem like kind of strange. You're like, no, no, no. The other thing too is that I would make her a night hag, mm. which is technically a fiend, but they still all hags originate in the fae wild. I'd make her a night hag. And so night hags have a really cool ability that haunt people's dreams. Oh, yeah. So they can go into the ethereal plane, and while there, they can mess with your dreams and cause you exhaustion and make it so your long rest gets failed. Mm-hmm. But they can also they can also plant seeds, incept oh, you. Wow. So during the day and on the surface, she is, you know, the beautiful princess Magdalene. And she has come to help... Um, the Kendrick bloodline retake its rightful place as the rulers of Gwyneth yeah. away from these terrible Eladrin that have taken your homeland and are ravaging the land. And by night, she's literally driving King Kendrick insane mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to make him, the more insane he becomes, the more pliable he becomes to her machinations. Yeah. And I think that that is so cool. That's and you so can play cool. it so like when the party when the party meets him, he's just a little off. Yeah. But then every time you interact with him, he's more and more insane. And then the closer the party gets to Citadel Umbra and the closer the the more renowned the party gets, the more she starts doing that to you. Right. And so once you get into Winterglen, long rests become difficult. You have to be able to hide yourself just to take a long rest or else she's going to come and give you nightmares. Right, yeah. And drive you insane. And that's so cool. That's so cool. And yeah, you can have the prince. That's so cool. You can have the prince be like you're at the enemy at first because you're fighting against the Eladrin. But like, you know, it's you see that there's something there and you kind of respect them, him. And then like as you start to see something's amiss, he's maybe the first one you reach out to. To, to like change sides i would definitely make him ah, also so like good. become the prince of seraphal i would definitely make him end up at some point in the adventure becoming kind of a neutral faction between the humans the seraphal and the winter glen yeah like i would make him kind of uh mm. you know whether it's on the surface or he openly starts rebelling against his mother i would make him kind of be part of the party's faction and maybe depending on what the party does he becomes a powerful ally or an enemy yeah yeah um, super cool this the lore of this island is fantastic on the eastern shore of murloc is a moonwell the small shack overlooking the moonwell is home to Bran- Branwyn Moonsinger, a human druid and in the service of the Earth Mother. Once the great druid of the Moonshays, Brynneth refused to fight in the battles between the mortals of the Gwyneth and the Fae of Seraphel. The humans, thinking she was dead, named a new great druid. As she lives on, she keeps her vigil against the return of Kazgoroth, an event she feels in her aching bones is not just inevitable but imminent. The Fae of Sarafel know of her presence, and they enter only rarely into her life, occasionally visiting her, bearing gifts, and asking questions about the history of Gwyneth before their arrival. Okay, so new take, hot take that I would do. Yeah. While this is all happening, right, you keep hearing, you, in, you encounter mm-hmm. Brenwyn. 
you go to the sacred grove of the Earth Mother and you encounter Branwen, and Branwen tells you about the return yeah. of the beast, right? And you're like, of Kazgaroth. And you're like, yeah, whatever, that's not important right now. Yeah. And it's just this under-rumbling that's there, always. Sometimes you run into a satyr here, mm-hmm. a druid there, a woodwode here, that just happened to mention this in passing, but it's not anything important enough for the party to focus on right now. They think it's literally a monster. Everyone thinks it's a monster, right? Yeah. Kazgaroth returns as the prince. Yeah. He, this time he's this time he's not a monster. Right. They realize right. I mean he's a That's monster cool. in the in the in the metaphorical sense of the word, but not the literal sense of the word. He returns as the prince. Or if you do stuff, depending on what the party does, he either returns as the prince or um, King Kendrick. Yeah. So one of those two, whoever you let get corrupted becomes the beast. Right. And it yeah. becomes 100% in the party's hands. Whoever they shield from corruption gets saved from becoming the beast and becomes your ally against the beast. Yeah. And whoever you don't help becomes the beast and their body gets twisted and morphed. Same with their with their brain and their powers. And all of a sudden there's this new faction oh. there. And maybe, maybe you can either get the three factions to band together against the beast or maybe you can manipulate the beast while it's still in its early stages to yeah. completely decimate one of the factions you don't like yeah no okay i i oh oh i just had a great cinematic moment in my head of you're confronting uh Arfania and you're confronting her in front of the king and she's like starting to like do the evil person monologue of like i've been pulling the strings the whole time and she's there like waxing poetic and you're ready to fight her and she's like and here is my like my hopeless pawn the king and she goes to kill the king and the king just gets up from dead like sometime like he falls down dead you fight her and then he gets up from dead later on or seemingly dead and he's like red-eyed bestial eyes yeah and he starts laughing he's like i'm and then he reveals himself to be the beast and like speaks in this like demonic malar voice yeah that'd be fucking wicked that'd be freaking sweet yeah Yeah, that's exactly what i'm talking about is yeah depending on how you go the party either the prince or king kendrick become the beast and i think that's so cool yeah and it turns out that like yeah all of this political stuff was important and you still need to figure it out but on top of it there is now a proper big bad evil creature that is inhabiting the body of one of these people that you have hopefully come to like yeah you to make this work you have to have the party interact with the two possible beasts a lot and make them either love or hate them yeah because if you make them hate king kendrick well obviously they're gonna let him become the beast but maybe you know i think that would be really cool and then by mistake they let it be the prince the one they liked out of the two and they they're like no we're totally torn is there a way to slay the beast while saving the prince well and like the last the 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 last person was a kendrick who killed the beast with a sword so like if it's the king like it would be in the king's vault true the sword to slay them so like that's a huge issue too <laughs> so if it ends if it ends up being him it's kind of ironic yeah exactly i love that so much that's the idea for the campaign here. So cool. <laughs> Is the the warring factions yeah. that yeah. devolves into yep, the yep. Un, the underbelling rumblings from the druids into the beast and you're expecting it to be an actual monster but it ends up inhabiting one of the bodies of your valued princes of 
uh, princes of fate, and it takes over one of them. So cool, so cool. Then when you finally confront the prince, you can do a Final Fantasy two-tier boss fight. Yeah. You kill him in humanoid form, or you um, exercise the beast from your uh, prince-slash-king buddy's body, and now you've got to fight him in bestial form. Yeah. So cool. So cool. He stomps his foot, yeah, explodes out of the prince, and the ground rumbles, and an earthquake happens, and it completely changes the battlefield layout, and you have to go again. Now he's gargantuan. Yeah, now, like, take, like, T-Rex stats and put them on steroids. <laughs> oh, yeah. So cool, so cool, so cool. So cool. We're pretty much at an end here, but I'll say real quick, I think really cool place if you want to play a Satyr or a Fae race. If if you're doing this thing that we talked about, maybe you are yeah. a Fae in Snowdown that you went there to like help them out or like you felt nature die in there. So you went to, to go help or and you're doing the Gwyneth one and you're just like one of the Fae's that actually wants to help the mortals. You're kind of a traitor from the get-go. So yeah, you have that kind of like Fae at, if you want to do any sort of Fae background of sorcerer, of warlock, of barbarian now. Like there's so many Fae-based classes yep. that you could really put together in here. Satyr, Aladrin, Shatter Kai even because of Citadel Umbra. Yeah, Shatter Kai. Um, Satyr, Aladrin, yeah. Shatter Kai, uh, horse people, like Centaur, Minotaur, any of the Fae races, perfect from here. Yeah, and you can even, like they said, there was a, there's a town. Perfect. Owl folk. Owl folk. Yeah, the new ones. Owl the folk. The new UA. Yeah. Fairy from, the, from exactly. the UA. You could be a fairy from here. Classic druid. You could be a druid. Druid of the stars. Druid of the stars. Um, you could be. Any of the druids, actually. And then but... there's, there's dwarves and el- uh, elves on this island that are kind of like aligned. Like you can have them if you want to be a bit more like meat and potatoes but like they they have an interesting place in the whole setup because like they don't actually really they didn't get kicked off their island so like how does that make you feel about the whole change up like yeah there's some really cool things you can bring into this if you wanted to change the lore a bit which you always have to do when your part player comes with some wacky stuff yeah you know you're like we're playing in the year two fire was just invented the year 2 bc fire was just invented yeah. and your one player comes and goes i'm playing an artificer <laughs> and you're like well no that doesn't that doesn't fit we're playing caveman nope i'm an artificer or i don't get to play and we're not friends anymore and so you go okay fine i'm a good dm i don't want to say no yeah. i mean you're not a bad dm if you say no, yeah, no. but you know i don't want to say no so you rewrite some stuff and you figure out how to fit an artificer with you play flintstones you know you're you're <laughs> repeating crossbow now fires bones yes. <laughs> you're firing finger bones from your crossbow that's like a, a rubber band um and uh whatever so um rewriting this lore a little bit mm-hmm. to add in another faction that i think would be really cool you want to play a human cleric of saloon twilight domain right. the idea is that you rewrite the lore a little bit to say that along with the Earth Mother was the Moon Sister or Goddess, because right. they're literally called Moon Pools. Moon Wells, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yep. Moon Wells. So you can say that Saloon used to be one of the main patron deities here, and then as love of the Earth Mother grew and the need to quell the beast grew, Saloon got pushed to the side. And then, as it said, it was kind of a footnote, but it said this place is rampant with lycanthropy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The Church of Saloon got ousted from the Moonshay Isles because of the lycanthropes. Right. They, they hate lycanthropes. They want to kill lycanthropes, right? Maybe they were so against the lycanthropes, but the Seraphal came, and they were like, nah, the lycanthropes are fine. Yeah. And whatever, the lycanthropes are fine. And they got overwhelmed by the presence of the lycanthropes, and in this minor war that happened, throw it over, I don't know, the Merig peatlands. It's just a small spot on Gwyneth. 
a battle happened and the lycanthropes overtook the church of saloon and they got banished and you're playing a human cleric of saloon who has come back to your ancestral homeland to reclaim it and open a new church there mm. and you get here and you don't find a place that is 100% run by lycanthropes you find this political intrigue and maybe you can you know strike a deal with whatever side you end up dealing with. You know, you end up with King Kendrick, yep. and he agrees that he'll give you a plot of land to open up your Church of Saloon, and he will name Saloon one of the patron gods of Gwyneth if you help him. Yeah. He'll give you forces to fight the lycanthropes. I don't know. I think that'd be a cool character concept yeah. to tie it into here without having yeah. to be like, you're a fae. Yeah. Another really cool one to uh, I would love to play is a Northlander who maybe thought like came to Gwyneth or came to the Isles of Moonshade and was blessed by the the Earth Mother. Maybe was like really was a pillager, was a Northlander, but like never harmed nature, was always really good to nature and was blessed as a beast barbarian. True. That'd be cool. And like allowed them to like kind of turn into beasts. Well, even maybe Malar like focus and like yeah. has kind of like lycanthropy and do like a beast barbarian here. Super cool. This would also be the perfect place to play um, either a fey wanderer ranger yeah. mm -hmm. or the fey touched barbarian. Yeah. Because usually with those two, you have to be like, I went to the fey wild and came back. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, okay, well, that's, you know, kind of weird, cheesy. How do we explain that? Blah, 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 blah. But this way you can still be from Faerun in the material plane but have spent a lot of time adjacent to the Feywild. Exactly. Or maybe like it's a good place. you were there when Caradora came out, the, like you were born or like a child when it came out the waters and like yeah. the explosion of that magical effect like changed you. you it's know? a good place to be one of the Fey classes without having to be literally like, I was in the Feywild for 10 years for some reason that we shoehorned in and now I'm back for some reason that we shoehorned in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's, a good, it's a good way to handle that, I think. Also, there's the one... Earth mother child who's a unicorn. They, I think it is one of the the war celestial warlock. Yeah, celestial warlock. So like, true. there's where you met the unicorn as a celestial true, warlock. True, 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 true. Wait, real quick. Yeah. One of the things that I think is so funny. So one of the wild magic surges is you summon a unicorn. Yeah. You, okay. The wild magic surge happens. You summon the unicorn. Someone throws their sword down and goes, "I pledge a warlock <laughs> pack to you." And multi class into warlock. <laughs> All happens in a combat because you roll on the wild magic usually during combat. Yeah. It's like I spend my turn creating a warlock pact with this unicorn that's only here for one minute. <laughs> That would be hilarious. That would be very funny. If I was a DM, I would be like, I guess so. Sure. Cool. <laughs> Love it. Okay. That's it for our journey today. Be wary of any books you find impaled at a store. Next episode, we'll cover Oman, Moray, and Aleron. Thank you, Lily, for joining me. Yeah. Thank you also for the amazing cover art. Yep. And blend us for their theme music around the fire. You can find them on Bandcamp. Yeah. Links in the description of the episode. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And have a great day long rest. Bye.